toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Meg Davis. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters for allowing this weekly conscious conversation. We are so grateful for all the support we have received with the monthly donations on Patreon, the five-star written reviews on iTunes and Spotify, and the connection within our Awakening Souls Facebook community. We are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. So please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. And if you like what you hear, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. This episode is sponsored by Tom Palladino with Scalar Light. Sign up and receive your 30-day free Scalar Light healing at scalarlight.com. You can listen to our interviews with Tom and the amazing benefits and healing potential in episodes 73, 78, and 90. And I've personally been receiving the Scalar Light energy daily and have really noticed the shifts in my energy, including chakra balancing, energy clearing, and nutrient support. And it's also a beautiful gift I can provide for my family. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a moment to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy and breathing out anything you are ready to release. And take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself and breathing out that light and love and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to you. Our guest today is Meg Davis. She is a Reiki master, intuitive, and certified life and health coach based in Northern California. Meg always knew she understood and saw more than most people, but she had always attributed this to nothing more than a heightened sense of observation. It wasn't until she had her first reading during a point in life when everything seemed to be falling apart at once that what she was really experiencing started to become clear. 
Since then, she has been working on honing her skills in Reiki, intuitive and medium readings, and coaching in order to help people obtain guidance, gain awareness, and make choices that help them align with what they really want out of life. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. So can you tell us about your journey and just what has led you down this spiritual path? Yeah. So as you mentioned, it really all started at a point in my life where I was working towards the life that I thought I wanted and the relationship and the job and everything was just falling apart all at once, everything that I had thought that I wanted. And uh, I got my first Reiki session and um, it came with a small reading afterwards. And she said, you're more intuitive than you know. And at a, in a moment of pure vulnerability, I just immediately responded, I know. And to tell someone essentially that they're psychic and have just the gut reaction be, I know, was a little different. So I really sat with my my immediate response with that. And so it encouraged me to find a way to look into that and to develop that. So I ended up getting my Reiki attunements myself. And I never really intended to work on other people. It was always just a, a means to manage myself better. I, I found that I'm an empath and a highly sensitive person myself. And with that came a lot of reacting instead of responding throughout my life, which I can get a little bit more into later. But uh, there was just a lot of communication and relationship outcomes that weren't really desirable because of that. So I, I really was trying to use the Reiki to manage myself better, which was very successful. And then I started to incorporate intuitive readings into my Reiki sessions just as a way to practice doing intuitive readings on people. And it was really good guidance for them. It was really accurate. It was really clear. It was to this day, I still get probably as much as my clients do from those experiences. They're just so moving to me, Um, but it can be kind of heavy information. And so instead of having someone leave a session with that kind of glazed over look and looking like they're really overwhelmed by going from zero to 60 into identifying something kind of heavy that maybe they need to talk about, or maybe it's time for them to start addressing in life. And then watching them leave the session and just kind of wishing them luck and hope they call me back. (laughs) It just kind of made sense that the logical next step would be, okay, now I'm here to support you and we can put a plan together and work through it. So that's kind of where the coaching piece came in. So first it started with the life life coaching certification and then the health and wellness certification. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your, your journey and what's led you to this point. And it sounds like it's just been a natural progression for you. Now you mentioned the terms empath or HSP, highly sensitive person. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and you know, what that's looked like for you and how you've managed that with the work that you've, you're doing. Yeah. So empaths are people that actually feel the other emotions of feel the emotions of what other people are feeling. So they tend to be energetically very porous people. I think a lot of people can relate to the feeling of if you've ever walked into a room and you've been able to very clearly 
feel the energy or the mood of the room. That's kind of what empaths experience, but every day and all day. And whether, you know, it could be walking by someone in the grocery store who is having a really rough day and they didn't even intend to impart any kind of that energy onto this person. It's, you know, so it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to grapple with the, the empaths that I work with when we first start working together, it's a lot of unpacking what it is they're experiencing and then really starting to identify what emotions they're feeling that even belong to them. Kind of like unpacking the garage and finding a bunch of stuff that you you weren't even aware was, you know, still in your possession and you have no idea where it came from in the first place. And highly sensitive people are very similar to that. They don't necessarily feel other people's emotions, but they're incredibly responsive to stimuli. So that's kind of what I mean by highly sensitive. So they tend to be people that are often either misdiagnosed as ADD or ADHD or neurodiverse, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, or maybe they feel like they've somehow, they're somewhere on the spectrum, but they don't really necessarily fit into a box, any kind of diagnostic box. And so it's hard for them to really get the kind of support that they need. And that was a lot of my experience too. I was growing up I really thought I was just highly observant. It was one of those experiences regularly where people would say, how did you see that? How did you notice that? My response was always, how did you not see that? How did you not notice that? It was, it's so clear to me. And I didn't realize for so long that that's not how many people operate. Um, So I was very fortunate in that I was able to kind of assimilate those differences, those traits into gifts and strength that I was able to use to my advantage very early on. But that's not necessarily very common for people. So that's one of the things that I really focus on with my coaching clients with neurodiverse or highly sensitive or empaths is looking at the traits that they have felt like were hindrances or blocks to connecting with people or were really overwhelming or made them very different from what they saw the quote-unquote normal people, how, how normal people operated, and inspecting those traits so that we can figure out how to build systems and life, life habits, life strategies around them to leverage them as their superpowers, as their strengths. Thank you for that explanation for empaths and uh, HSP. I actually have a like a similar situation. Like I felt like even when I was a little girl, I was always very sensitive and highly empathic. And unfortunately, that wasn't really looked at as a gift. I think I tell people, man, if I had a penny for every time I heard, oh, you're just so sensitive. But said in kind of a demeaning kind of way, like it was a bad thing. Like it was bad to be sensitive and to notice, you know, other people's emotions that I noticed it. And I just thought everyone else did. But so it's interesting how, you know, we've we've come a long way. I actually look at my empathy and my hypersensitivity as a gift. But I also know that for many of us, we didn't grow up with looking at it like that way. It's like sensitivity was something that should be gotten rid of or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's such a, it's such a dirty word in our society. Yeah. Like we should culture. toughen up or something. Or... Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, and 
I mean, for really, for really either masculine or feminine um, associations, it's, it's not a positive thing, but especially for more masculine associative traits, it's a really, really dirty word. So sensitivity is something that is very much a detriment to in, in our society. And we just don't have a culture that understands highly sensitivity, highly sensitive people. So there are other cultures around the world that do embrace the concept a bit better and really value these people as people that are wired this way as um, more valuable in society. Um, So I I think you are right. I think we are getting to a point where it's not so looked down upon, but it's definitely, we're definitely still in the transitive phase. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, in our culture, we tend to want to put labels on things, you know, like, like you said, it, like it can oftentimes be misdiagnosed as ADHD or, you know, even like borderline personality or, you know, um, other things, you know, and so, because, you know, there is a reactivity and until you understand what you're reacting to and the emotional piece, right. There's this, um, place where you have to start to get, you know, really comfortable with your emotions and start to honor them because we have been taught to push them down and taught to not acknowledge them. And so, you know, as empaths and highly sensitive people, it's really important to take that time to, you know, acknowledge that part of ourselves, you know, as an empath and, you know, highly sensitive, I had the same experience of, you know, being told I was too sensitive and, but it's all about finding that balance again and finding, you know, that acceptance of those traits to recognize that it is a part of who you are, not some diagnosis that can be subdued by medication or, you know, something else, you know, it's uh, important to be able to, to honor that part of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And for, for, especially for highly sensitive people, and even some of the neurodiverse with other diagnoses that I work with, we really take the approach of having a diagnosis or having a name for, you know, what it is that these, these traits that you're experiencing are, are called in general society is it can be really helpful for creating awareness. I mean, especially if you're looking to more normalize it and find that you're not the only person that experiences this, putting a name to it can be really helpful But ultimately, what I really work with people on is, so you have these traits, you have this diagnosis, now what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And how can you help to create systems that promote a better management and create better outcomes in life for you instead of just, you know, turning to medication or um, using it as a crutch of, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just highly sensitive. So I really can't be in situations like that. There are definitely times where medication and environment management is really useful and really imperative. But if we can make that the exception and not the rule and empower people to have more control over their reactions, their emotional reactions to things. That's, that's really my goal. So I've been really trying to focus on that with my coaching clients because 
when I look back at some of the support that I wish I had as I was navigating this on my own, it was, it would have been, it would have been that. (laughs) I just wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, we've mentioned empath and HSP highly sensitive. You also mentioned the word neurodiverse. So for our listeners that are not familiar with that, could you just give us an explanation when you say people who are neurodiverse, like what does that mean or what does that look like? And then follow up with what are some tools that we can use if we're any one of those three that we mentioned, just practical tools that we can use because many of us become very overwhelmed being highly sensitive individuals. Yeah. So neurodiverse is kind of the umbrella term for more specific diagnoses. Um, Dyslexia falls under that, ADD, ADHD, dyscalculia, autistic. Those are some of the more recognizable diagnoses um, under neurodiversity. And I, I really think it's just such an empowering term because it doesn't signify that the people who are wired that way are less than there's just a a broader way of viewing the world. They're just very diverse in the way that they view the world. Instead of when I think about this, the, the example that always comes up is like standardized testing and how in schools we're, we're really taught to, to take a test a certain way. And for many people, we learn how to do that, whether that's our natural, natural way of, of learning and evaluation or not. Um, but it, it really is sort of a one-size-fits-all approach. And the concept of neurodiversity just feels like there's a lot of right ways to go about doing this. And being functional and being a contributing member of society can look a lot of different ways. And so I think it's just so inclusive and I think it's just really empowering. So some of the tools that I really like to use are it can be really specific based on the traits of, of the specific person I work with. So to kind of overgeneralize it, one of the things that we'll first start working on when I start working with a coaching client that is neurodiverse, highly sensitive, or an empath is getting really clear about how they experience the world and starting to put a vocabulary to that. Because as they can then claim it, uh, name it to claim it, and they can put more of a, a verbal understanding to how they experience things. It help, it allows us to be able to put together a strategy and how to manage it and how to create habits and like mornings and evening routines and another kind of habitual systems in place so that they have more, they're creating more support for themselves in their own life to, to see successes Uh, But it also allows them to be able to start offering points of connection. I feel that so many of these people have relationships that suffer because they feel like nobody understands them. Nobody under, nobody experiences the world the, the way that they do. So being able to explain what they're experiencing to somebody else and sort of offer that as a point of connection, as a as a window into their world can be really helpful because if, you know, they're having, let's say they are particularly sensitive to environment and especially like light or sound in an environment and they're withdrawing because they're feeling really overwhelmed. 
if they know how to explain that, they can then turn to whoever they're with and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm withdrawing a little bit. I just, there's, there's a lot of light and sound going on and it's just a lot for me right now. So instead of shutting down and feeling like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. They can offer that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm overwhelmed right now to somebody else. And it gives the other person the chance to say, I totally get it. I get overwhelmed too. And mine looks like this. Mine looks different. And, and it just offers a better point of connection. And then another piece is being able to take the traits that were hindrances and learn how to leverage them as their superpower. So I have one client in particular comes to mind where they, they love to create an environment that's specific to how they want to experience something. So if they're really excited for a new TV show to come out, they can get very clear in their mind about how they want their room to look and the, the clothes that they're wearing and the bedding that's on their bed as they get all comfy to watch this new show. And so we can actually, we've actually learned to um, create the system where they leverage that. So as they then want to envision what's the ideal study environment for myself, they can visualize what that looks like and then be able to recreate that. So things like staying up on house cleanliness, for instance, is a lot easier because it's all in the name of working towards this more ideal environment. So it's really being able, we've been able to shift that into their one of their superpowers, which has been really, really exciting to see. This episode is sponsored by Tom Letter at Selenite Swords. Our world faces many challenges at the present moment. And to create more balance among mankind, the collective power of lightworkers is needed now more than ever. If you want to contribute to this effort with your own energy work, add selenite swords of light to your practice. Each sword is handmade with a blend of over 400 power crystals and 92 sacred waters from around the world. It creates a resonance that's palpable, tangible, and magnifies your personal energy many times. Practitioners love these unique tools of light and what they experience during each healing session. Visit Selenite Swords of Light to learn more and select your new sword today at selenitesswords.com. Sounds like there's a lot of energy too, as you were talking about just relationships before and, you know, really tapping into connecting with others and being able to stay self-aware, but also verbalizing your, you know, what's happening for you in the moment. And I love that because I think it's so important that we have those supportive relationships and that we can really open up to that. Cause I think as empaths, you know, it can be challenging and, you know, especially if you're with someone that doesn't quite get it, you know, or doesn't quite understand and, or maybe is shut off from their emotions. Cause I, I see that pattern happening a lot, you know, an empath will be with someone that are, are shut down, right. There's this, pattern that that tends to happen in relationships. And so I'm just wondering if you can, you know, talk a little bit more about relationships and how we can really begin to build those kinds of relationships, you know, to have the support that we need. Are there other things that you can suggest to help with that? Yeah, I think, 
I mean, the, the biggest thing that I found is just continuing to talk about it because there are definitely people who are more emotionally shut down, but I think with the people I've worked with and in my own experiences, I think more often than not, the more that we talk about it and the more that we're able to offer those identifying what I'm feeling and how it's showing up right now so that we can connect over that, you know, like I I used earlier, overwhelm. So being able to say that I'm overwhelmed and this is how it's showing up. So the other person can say, I totally get it. I get overwhelmed too. I think that really helps to normalize, normalize it for people um, for both sides of the table, but especially highly sensitive empath neurodiverse people who think that nobody else, nobody else experiences this. I'm the only one. And so the more that they can normalize it, it really helps to improve relationships because I think more people can relate to emotions than than I think we're giving society credit for. Even the people who are usually shut down and don't necessarily experience emotions in the moment, I think are have a, a greater tendency to be a bit more reflective in retrospect. So they may need time to go back and evaluate just what just happened, but usually they're able to access some memory of having an instance of that emotion in their life. So it does still offer some kind of bridge of connection. And the other thing that's really important about voicing it is it helps to build confidence because if you know, and you can verbalize what it is that you're experiencing, it's just such a a confidence and a self-esteem builder because you're just in at the same time that you're building that relationship with somebody else you're reinforcing that relationship with yourself that you do know what's going on and you do have some kind of say over how you manage it. Yes. I do think that's really important for, for, for all individuals, just growing and stepping into our power and, and really sensing that on deeper levels. And I'm, I'm curious because I know empaths and HSPs, neurodiverse, we tend to, not always, but we tend to be rather intuitive. And so I'm curious, what are some ways that people can connect to these intuitive abilities? So I actually have an exercise that I take people through that I work with, and it really helps them discern the difference between when they're getting intuitive hits and when they're getting either just fiction that their mind is making up or something that's um, based in another emotion, which is usually fear. So I, I find that intuition is a lot like professional sports or like professional music. Some people are either naturally gifted or work really hard or some combination of the two to get to a point where they just do it better than most other people. That said, Many of us can throw a basketball up at a hoop or, you know, pluck a guitar string. So we all have access to being able to participate in sports and music, even if we don't do it at a professional level. And intuition is a lot the same. We all have access to our own intuition, even if we're not all out there giving intuitive readings to our neighbor. So I personally 
just trusted that I had a gift and then I worked really hard to hone it. Um, but I find that most people that I work with confuse fear and feelings of fear with their intuition. So the exercise that I take people through helps them to understand better when they're feeling fear and where that shows up in their body, how they experience that compared to intuition and where they experience that in their body and how that shows up. So they can really put them side by side to be able to discern which is which. And then the more that they're able to recognize when something is showing up as an intuitive or a gut feeling about something, it's just like going to the gym and flexing that muscle. So the more they're able to recognize that and flex that muscle, the greater capacity they have to be able to draw on that and rely on that in just more commonplace settings. Yeah, I find that's pretty common, right? That confusing sometimes that fear and intuition. And I'm just curious if like, what are some ways to tell those two apart? Like, what are some, like, what would you say to someone that is struggling to know the difference? So that varies because everybody's different and everybody experiences emotions um, differently. So some people it's a thought, some people it's more of a feeling in their body, but to be kind of overly general about it. The exercise really focuses on remembering a time in your life when you were feeling fear and you knew 100% without a doubt, this is fear. And what was that situation? And kind of put yourself back in that situation. And where are you experiencing this? What are you experiencing? Maybe it's one of the five senses. Maybe it's the arising temperature somewhere, or you feel it in a specific place in your body. And then conversely, comparing that to a time where they absolutely knew that they were having an intuitive or just a gut feeling about something. They knew they shouldn't go to a place, or maybe they knew they absolutely should go this direction on the way home, but even though it's out of their norm, you know, whatever the experience is, And then how does that show up? Where does it show up in your body? What of the five senses are you experiencing, if any? Is there any shapes or colors or, you know, so it's really specific to the person because we all experience things differently, but doing your best to put those two, to put yourself back in those situations so that you can put them more side by side as best you can is, is the best way that I know how to start to get an understanding of how how they're different and how they show up for you differently. Yeah. Drawing on the past, I think is a really important thing. Um, you know, cause then, cause our body remembers, right. We remember when we were in fear, we remember when we were, had that intuition. And so being able to draw on that, um, those experiences I'm sure can be very, very profound and helpful. And so I'm wondering um, if you can talk a little bit about maybe some ways that um, as an empath, HSP, or, you know, just maybe in general, um, how someone can really truly empower themselves to create a life that they truly love. Yeah. So I think that starts with getting clear about what it is that they want. And I find so many people I work with if when I, when we first start working together and I ask them, you know, what, what do you want out of life or what is it that you even like to do? Like what, if you had all day tomorrow, what would you go do if it was full of only the things that you like? 
Most people don't know how to answer that question, but they can tell you what their best friend likes and they can tell you what their sister likes. And so it's really starting with sorting through what's truly theirs and what belongs to other people and making more room in their life for the things that truly belong to them. And then getting clear about their purpose, about what it is they feel like they were put here to do, what brings them joy, what gives them fulfillment, and pursuing more of that, and and getting good support. Good support is so helpful. I had many years of therapy. I've had mentors along the way. I've um, made good friends who experience the world much the way that I do. So really getting a good support network is so crucial to success for so many people. I would definitely agree with that. Actually, we just, Stacey and I just had a one-on-one conversation about surrounding ourselves with the, with people who, who we want to become you know, because so often we can get stuck in just relationships that were a part of our old way of thinking, our old way of perceiving the world, and and then we stay there. But in really, you know, as energetic beings, we are designed to be in community, and we're more importantly designed to be in a community that helps elevate or uplift to who who we want to be in the you know the life that we really desire and the life that we really love so i think that's a really important part um, yeah. especially for people who are really sensitive to others we can be easily brought down um, by other people's toxic emotions i know that was and it can also come out physically like that was one of the issues i was you know, diagnosed with an autoimmune gut issue because I was stomaching other people's emotions that were not mine. I thought they were mine because I didn't have that boundary of what was mine and what was theirs, but I was just taking it in and like it literally came out in my gut. And so there, I I think that's important for people to realize that, you know, as energetic beings, we are designed to be with people that lift us up to raise our vibration. So thank you for bringing that to light. I feel like it's it's kind of a theme lately on, on our podcast shows. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's to that point. It's pretty amazing, especially with my Reiki clients. Um, I'm also a medical intuitive, and so I get a lot of people that come to me and have you know they're not able to get conclusive results with Western medicine or you know whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, I see a lot of people that present with physical symptoms that have mental, emotional uh, origins. So it's, it's really incredible how that kind of thing can really physically manifest in our bodies. And one of the things, especially with regards to creating a good support network, one of the things that I focus on with most of my clients is communication and particularly responding versus reacting. So responding is really taking the time to be very intentional about how you want to respond with something versus reacting, which is very much based on our impulses. And it ends up that we, we end up becoming who our impulses dictate we are instead of who we really want to be. I am so passionate about this because it's been a lot of the work that I've done with myself. I 
growing up, my mouth was constantly getting me into trouble and I was grounded frequently. And uh, I just got so tired of having to apologize or being so dissatisfied with the outcome. It took me probably into my mid twenties or so to really have the capacity to start to work on generating a different outcome for myself and not being someone and having actions or words that I felt like I needed to apologize for. So that's been really empowering too, is giving myself a a little tip or trick with that is giving yourself time to figure out how you really want to respond. And the question that I've always used that I share with my clients that I think is really effective is when I look back on this situation, how can I respond that's going to make me most proud? So especially with empaths, highly sensitive people, neurodiverse people, we feel so much so quickly that it's sort of like a bottle rocket. We just respond. We just, or we, we just react really quickly to something where if we give ourselves the time to really think through, we have the chance to decide who we want to be and be and allow ourselves to be more inspired by who we really feel is inside us instead of who just happens to come out all the time. <laughs> so that's a, it can really, again, support a better relationship with yourself and better relationships with others too. I love that, you know, just taking the time, you know, with that recognizing we don't have to react in that moment and we can even, you know, take a day or two or a week, you know, if, if something is feeling triggering or we just need to take a moment before we respond to that email or that text, we can, you know, maybe even say something like I'll respond, you know, when I'm ready or I'll, you know, give me a little bit to think about this or, or whatever, you know, but recognizing that, you know, you don't have to respond right away. There's no urgency in that. And that, you know, sometimes taking that day or two can help you gain that perspective you need to truly respond from a deeper place. I can say I've gotten much better at that. I remember like when there was a text message or something that like really bugged me, I typed something really fast. And then before I hit the send button, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, is, do I really want to send this? And I have to like delete it. And I'm like, I'm just going to let that sit for a while. Just put my phone to the side. And I've, I've gotten much better at mm-hmm. <laughs> not responding back quickly with the kind of like text messages back and be like, it's okay. I'm just going to take some time to think about that before I hit the send. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so, it's so empowering to be able to remember that we have the choice. Mm -hmm. And that everything, it is a choice, right? How we choose to show up in each moment is a choice and we are empowered to make that choice. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about um, just what healing modalities you offer and um, the importance of each one and, and how they can help support the people that you work with. Yeah, so I do intuitive readings. I'm a medical intuitive. I'm also a medium. So really anybody that wants any kind of guidance, if they feel like they're stuck in life, or they just kind of, it's funny, most of the the stuff that comes up during readings is not news to people. So sometimes even just having a, a total stranger that doesn't know anything about your life validate something for you that you've been thinking or feeling and, and maybe think, oh, it's, you've been justifying it away as well. Maybe it's not that important to have someone that's a total stranger, bring it up and say, Oh, this looks like it would be 
really beneficial if you decided to make that a focus in your life right now. It can be so powerful. I know that most of the time when I get readings, it's because I need someone to validate what I'm thinking or feeling. <laughs> so that can be really helpful. With Reiki, it's it's a, an energy healing that has a power to heal us mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And again, as I said, I get a lot of people that present with physical symptoms that have mental, emotional origins. So getting a little guidance on, yeah, I can, I can see that your neck and shoulders are hurting. There is a a little bit of misalignment there. Um, but it's also probably, I'm also getting that you're feeling really vulnerable. And so your posture is sort of hunched over trying to protect the heart area because you're feeling like you don't want to, you're, you're not ready to connect with people. And so you're kind of blocking off that energy center, that, that, ability to connect with people. And so your shoulders are kind of hunched and it sounds like you've not been having good posture. And so being able to bring that up for people is like, oh, you know, I I haven't, I have feel been feeling like I don't really want to connect with people like now, right now. And then we can talk about why that is. Maybe you're going through some big transition or maybe it's finding your voice or, you know, whatever the, the compounding reasons are. And then both of those lead into coaching really well it's to, to oversimplify my goal with coaching, it's stop being comfortable with uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We have the society that makes us feel so normalized about feeling less than, or feeling discomfort or feeling like we're inadequate. And there's so much that we can do to move past that if we just believe that it's possible and have some good support in getting there and with how they work together, it's, it's been kind of exciting. So I've been doing some um, intensive programs with clients, with coaching clients. Um, So people that really want to shift their relationship with their existing environment can be really helpful for newly divorced or, maybe even newly married or empty nesters or people that are faced with a major medical procedure where diet, lifestyle, mindset shifts are all not just helpful, but required for their recovery. And then with readings and coaching, it's super exciting because it's so beneficial for commission salespeople or small business owners to have a a VIP reading mindset session where we can kind of brainstorm how to grow their business, how to build their business, how to find their, their voice, get in front of their ideal audience, the people that would choose them over anybody else, and then implement some coaching sessions for, for strategy. You know, anybody that's been to a retreat or a sales conference knows the idea of being at the conference, being in the moment, being super hyped up, getting back home, sitting down at their desk and going, where do I start? <laughs> I think those are all sh- amazing ways for people to just really shift their consciousness and to do it in, in energetic ways with Reiki, with intuition. And that's just really exciting work that you're doing. 
And so just to wrap up our conscious conversation here, if you could tell our listeners like where they can find you and anything that you're currently working on. Yeah. So you can find me. My website is mdavishealing.com. And uh, I would love to offer your listeners a free one hour coaching session if they just reference the Be the Love podcast. Beautiful. Um, And they can sign up for that on my website. There's a scheduling link on there. Beautiful. And we will add that to the show notes. And I'm, yeah, just really grateful that you would offer that for our listeners. And I'm sure they'll be as grateful. So they feel called to work with you. And do you do online sessions? Yes. In fact, for coaching, I only do remote sessions with the ebbs and flows of the current health crisis that we've all been going through. It's just easier to do. So Plus I, I, I love work. I have lots of clients outside of my immediate area. So do you also do like Reiki sessions online as well? Or is that just the coaching? Yeah, I do remote Reiki sessions and readings as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Everything can be done remotely. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Meg. Well, thank you both for having me. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, or liking us on Facebook. Please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with special guest interviews and speak the love conscious conversations with your co-host, myself and Brenda. A monthly donation of $2.22 or $5.55 really helps with the operating costs of this podcast. We can continue to spread the love. To contribute, visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining.